Uh, firstly, I mean, just looking at um, uh, this issue, and, and it's difficult to even find a starting point uh, for these discussions. But um, if we are to use uh, what happened in Paris over the weekend as such a starting point, then... You know, we look at what is being said, the conversations that are being had around this. And at the center is, you know, the issue of language and what is um, being described as the root causes of the terrorism that we are talking about. Radicalism, uh, radicalized Islam is what we hear very often. Um, What's your take on that, Professor Stremler? I think we all ought to take a deep breath and... uh and think what's really happened here. We have a group of no more than a dozen young men in their 20s, led by apparently one fellow, this Belgian uh, Arab, uh, Abdul Abbasad, and the world is going crazy. Uh, The politicians are politicizing this so that we're not united, in fact, as Ban Ki-moon was calling us to be, in terms of trying to understand the phenomenon and then have it in some perspective. So I think what's missing, and that's why this is a good time to talk about it, is what is that perspective, especially for South Africans, a very diverse country that manages this diversity quite well. So um, from what Professor Stremlau has just been saying, uh, Professor Isak, uh, that you know it's, it's, it's this little group of people, and there would seem to be quite a number of those you know, scattered all over the planet somewhere. But we hear that it is incumbent upon all Muslims to take responsibility for what is happening here. Um, and that is, of course, what I find uh, deeply problematic. Um, I think the one is to say that, look, this is done in my name. I'm sorry, it is not done in my name. It may be claimed to have been done in the name of my faith, but it's not done in my name. But the other one is to insist that because it was done by a Muslim, therefore all Muslims must now be clear to take a stand. It's like in South Africa, the reality is that the dominant face of crime is black. To then suspect every black person of being a criminal, unless he or she has not denounced crime, that is racism. You must continue to assume that every black person, until he or she is proven to be a criminal, is not a criminal. Even though the vast majority of charged and and found guilty criminals in South Africa may be black. And so, I mean, I, for one, I refuse to succumb to this kind of racism. I would think that my record of nonviolence, that the generally nonviolent nature of Islam in South Africa, the ordinariness of Muslim lives as workers, as students, as neighbors, as professionals, the ordinary lives of should convince our non-Muslim neighbors that we are peaceful. So when something happens in France, I don't want all my neighbors to come and knock on my door and to ask me if they are safe with me around. Could I just give the other side of that as well? Because it's complimentary. And I think as a Christian, am I supposed to go to war now? When President Hollande of France says this is total war, 
It's total war against ISIL, maybe, but this is not World War II. You know, this terrible, terrible killing in this theater on Saturday night killed 120 people, and they say it's the most killed since World War II, but (laughs) this is not total war. This is politics by another means, for sure, but the politicians, and I think Obama, by the way, has been very good on this and saying, listen, we have to keep this in some sort of perspective. I don't want to be grouped into the enemy of the uh, the Muslims, for heaven's sakes. Some of them are my, my best friends. This is a country which has tried to come to terms, as we were just hearing, with diversity. And the problem with the Europeans is they had all their ethnic wars hundreds of years ago. Now they're pretty homogeneous countries. And so suddenly they're all excited. And I just wish they'd calm down. But, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's questions like these because uh, they are somewhat misleading, but also um, don't they point to some sort of agenda, um, a hidden agenda, if you will, of what we are trying to make this out to be? Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I think that there is certainly an agenda as far as these bombings are concerned. I think that it is a Daesh Agenda. Daesh is the acronym for uh, for ISIS in Arabic, mm-hmm. um, and the one advantage with Daesh is that it has more sinister connotations. It literally means uh, terror, um, and so in much of the Arab world, people refer to it as Daesh instead of the Islamic State or ISIS. But I'm happy to use both. I think that there is an agenda, and the gen the agenda is. Uh, twofold. The one is to establish a state that is very, very authoritarian, a state that is nearly a a fascist-like state, a medieval state based on a very distorted idea of what Islam looked like in the 6th century. That is the first agenda. And the second agenda is to destabilize as many and to inflict terror on as many of those that are standing in the way of this agenda by bombing them in Iraq or in Iran. So all of those that have been a part of this uh, actual either a military coalition or what ISIS may even see as a cultural hegemonic coalition, the West, in crude terms, you know, Western civilization, And so I think that there is actually an agenda. I think that uh, uh, while, of course, I don't agree with this, I don't think that it is proper to describe it as senseless violence. It doesn't make any sense to us. But those uh, murderers, they pretty much have an agenda. It's not a state, though. It is yet a, a, a movement. It is racist, I think, by virtue of the fact that they're talking about a kind of a religious supremacy. And so consequently, I think we're playing into their hands, we, those who get terribly excited about reacting to this. And I'm uneasy with all the military use of force there, but the states are going to do that. But France puts 10 planes in the air. This is not an armada. They're trying to deal with a political problem in their context, The Americans are dealing with a political context problem with the right and the left fighting over this. South Africans at least can be a reasonable voice and say, you know, that we live in a very pluralistic world, folks. And if we don't believe in civic nationalism and constitutionalism and rule of law, we're nowhere.
And, um, you know, um, how much responsibility should the West, as it were, shoulder for what is going on right now, Professor? Uh, the one is, look, you know, one doesn't want to get to the point where you say the West is responsible. I think in some ways responsibility is a complicated thing. If you nudge me and you nudge me and you push me and you push me and then I get really angry and I slap you. I never, I cannot walk away from the fact that it is my responsibility that I decided to slap you. I must own up to my response to what you were doing. But it is also for you to reflect how much did I contribute to the creation of an atmosphere. George Bush did it. Right. (laughs) We can agree on that, I think, Uh, going into Iraq. Absolutely. But I think that we must also accept responsibility for our responses. So to this extent, I think that when a group of Saudi Arabian, largely Saudi Arabian, attacked the Twin Towers and the Pentagon, on September the 11th in 2001, when as a result of that, you then go and attack not the country where these people come from and where they were ideologized into a certain fundamentalist type of religion, Saudi Arabia, because they are your allies, they are your oil partners, they are the hands that feed you in some ways. Instead, you go and invade another country Afghanistan, a pretty broken country that needed some kind of stability and then brought some Arabs in. And the overflow of all of this then, the spread of that kind of fundamentalism, you elevate one dictator at a particular time in the name of Saddam Hussein, you glorify him in the names of the, or, or you demonize him in the eyes of the whole world, You then send your armies in. You kind of half blame him for uh, September the 11th, uh, 2001. Um, The country disintegrates completely. Uh, The Sunnis are demobilized. They feeling alienated. A whole lot of other... And then you have Daesh and the ongoing bombing of uh, of the country and uh, the fragmentation of the country. And this, I mean, you know... Terrorism isn't a thing, a tap that you can turn on and off. You can't unleash violence the one moment against your enemies. And as soon as you've conquered them, you tell them, okay, guys, go home now. It doesn't happen like this. All of these people are on the loose. They're now looking for other ideals. And this ideal, unfortunately, now clashes with the general Western interest in the area, let alone the damage that it is doing to those Muslim societies. I mean, very often, you know, we think of ISIS as a problem for the West. Far more tens and thousands of Muslims, and of course, especially the Yazidis, this minority sect uh, in uh, Syria, have been killed as a result of ISIS. So while we spare uh, tears and prayers for the people of Paris, let's not forget the thousands of Muslims um, that have died at the hands of these uh, terrorists. 
This, this could get a policy discussion going that probably would bore your readers, but would be very interesting to Patrice <laughs> and myself about Afghanistan and Iraq and the mistakes that were made. The point I think I want to make is two. One, it does matter who gets elected president of the United States. Barack Obama takes a different approach to America's engagement in the region than does George W. Bush, and it will make a big difference who gets elected in 2016. The other thing is a very local uh, issue. I always admired my students, particularly the Islamic women, who were very devout but also very progressive. And they would take in their vacation. There wasn't a great many of them, but they'd go and they'd teach in the region. They'd talk about what it was like to live in a country which is diverse and pluralistic and has a, a penchant for getting along with each other. That helps a lot because we all know that that region of the world has been left behind technologically, economically, and the like. It needs strong political institutions, and they aren't there. And your reference to Saudi Arabia is a good reminder of that. So if they need that, um, is it the West's responsibility to export their brand of uh, democracy to regions of the world who may not have asked for such? Who, who is the West? I mean, it's a very big conglomerate. And the European nations operate differently than a very diverse America. America is going to be a non-white majority by the middle of the century. They're just different places. I think it's incumbent on all of us, as we think about our place in the world, to appreciate that fact and to realize politics really does predominate. So do we allow people to choose for themselves what they want, um, uh, Professor Eshak, <coughs> or do we tell them, actually, you know what, that is very 6th century and this is where you ought to be in 2015? Well, I do think that we need to be very aware of cultural arrogance and cultural imperialism. Right. I think we need to be very, very sensitive to this kind of thing. Uh, in Africa, for example, we value the aged. We value elderly people. What do ordinary Africans make of uh, the institution in many parts of the, of the West, also amongst whites uh, in South Africa and not yet amongst Indians, uh, where, for example, when people reach the age of 70 or 80, you put them in old age homes. What prevents an African nation from going and sending in rescue operations right into the United States because they heard that, you know, uh, there's a place there that when you reach the age of 80 years old, your children one Sunday afternoon take you and they go and drop you there. And if your children are nice, then they will come and visit you once a month. And if they are not so nice, they will come and see you once a year. And if they're really bad, they will never come and visit you. Only come and pick up your body when you die so that they can have your inheritance. Then this African country decides, let's go and invade those countries and liberate all of those mamas and all of those tatas because it's unimaginable that people can do this to their elderly folk. Mm. We don't have the power to do it, but it's also wrong to do it. And so I think while we struggle to have universal values around rights, around gender equality, around inclusivity, these are ideas that we struggle for, that we preach and that you teach. These aren't ideas that you can enforce with armies and with bombs and with drones. Well, uh, the lines are open. 891 Great to see you enjoying the panel this morning. Uh, Tabang says, thanks very much for this panel, for being honest about uh, George Bush and, uh, you know, his involvement in all of this. Uh, Charles Rembe asks, what exactly do these fundamentalist groups want uh, if they cannot get it via democratic means in their own countries? Do we, uh, well, <clears throat> these groups are not interested in democracy. 
for them, their interpretation of they've synonymized themselves with God. We speak for God. We are God's representatives on earth. And so it's, what does the Bible say? It's not, what do I think the Bible says? Mm. How do I interpret the Bible? What does the Bible say? And so their interpretation has become synonymous with the book. And the book is synonymous with God. And so don't come and talk to me about democracy. Democracy is the will of the people. The people are evil. I speak for God. And so there is no space for democracy in their thinking. Could a democracy, um, you know, some democratic establishment not also very well result in a group uh, like um, ISIS, you know, taking root where the people say this is what we want well, in a particular Germany. region? Well, and 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 let's remember African history. There was a lot of quick independence, and then one election, and then you have these entrenched aging autocrats. I think it's to South Africa's great credit that when it preached for the African Union, it created an institution with the rights to intervene for human rights reasons. What Ban Ki Moon was talking about: when you have human rights abuses, that's an early warning. Today's human rights abuses are tomorrow's refugees or tomorrow's terrorists. But that takes hard work for all citizens to be involved and think that their actions, their responsibilities, and their rights matter. And South Africa has got to keep vigilant about its democracy. We're having a big debate right now about the health of this democracy. It can never be perfect. It can only be perfected. And so consequently, it's hard work. And I think what what professor is saying is exactly right. We've got to work at it.